Take your Bibles this morning. We're going to be a few places, but I'm going to tell you to go ahead and just go to Matthew chapter 24, if you would. And uh, we're going to go a few different paragraphs of Scripture through a few other places, but that's going to be our, our main text for this morning. So you'll do well to go ahead and just park there in Matthew chapter 24. So this morning, we're going to begin a new series coming out of uh, our IF series studying 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We had our day of prayer last Sunday. Man, that lifted my spirit. I was so encouraged uh, by last week's service. And uh, I just, uh, I told you several weeks ago when we were still studying through Philippians that God had put a series on my heart and uh, the If series came up prior. That one kind of caught me by surprise. And so we went that direction first, but we're going to move into a new series for a few weeks right now entitled Signs seasons, and the second coming. Now, what I want to guard against in this series is uh, fear-mongering or, uh, you know, trying to seize the moment to, to, to capture everyone to get saved now and ask me how, turn or burn kind of a thing. But God's Word has a lot to say about this very season we're living in. There are signs that he's giving us that indicate we have shifted into an even closer moment to the second coming of Christ than we have known prior to 2020. That I absolutely believe. We will talk about how to prepare for the coming of the Lord. I will not give you a date because we do not know the hour nor the time. Will he come back this afternoon? I don't think he comes back this afternoon. I think we'll find as we study the scriptures, there's some things to be put into place, but they are in motion now. So we're going to see what are these signs God gives us? What are the, the seasons that he moves us into? And what is this particular season that we find in scripture? It'll all be found right here. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus has a lot to say about what the days will be like before he returns. So we're just going to, we're going to study through and it. I said a few weeks, it's going to, it's going to be maybe up till Christmas time. And then we'll, uh, we'll do uh, some, uh, some study on Christ at his first coming, but, and then we may pick it up at the beginning of next year. I don't know. We'll see how far, how far we go. I don't have it completely all outlined just yet. Uh, but I do know the Bible has a lot to say about uh, the coming of Christ, about the, pre uh, the preparation of the church and the preparing of this earth for that coming. And uh, we live in some very unique times right now. There have been times through the history of God dealing with this church that he has made major shifts. One of those would have been the first coming of Christ. Things shifted from law to to grace. It shifted from a tabernacle and a, and a, a, a temple to the human heart on the day of Pentecost. It shifted at the resurrection of Christ that the church would now begin to be that which God would fill and would begin to use in the last days. In our own generation, and then it's happened through church history, but I won't go all down through that, but there was a major shift that happened in our own generation when the nation of Israel for over a thousand years had not been, well, for, for a couple thousand years, had not been a nation in one day, became a nation once again. Oh, which, by the way, was, was told several hundred years 
well, let me say, <laughs> more like 3,000 years before it actually happened in 1948. I think 2020 is a shift, a major shift. We all know it's the wackiest year probably any of us have experienced so many unconventional, surprising, unplanned, unexpected things so quickly back to back in just a few months already of this year, these 10 months. And we look at it, and, and many, many people in our world right now are saying, well, man, what a bad year. Can't wait for 2021. But I, I think we're, we're, we're missing the activity of God. God has not skipped over 2020. God's not waiting for 2021. God is wanting to capture our hearts and our attention right now. And, and I, you've heard it said, you heard it said last week from our guests, you've heard me say it, you've heard it said out online and everywhere else. We want things to get back to normal, but there will not be the old normal. And I say that for the church because God is at work in a unique way now, a way that he has already had planned and the events of 2020 that are the shaking and all of this are all a part of us stepping into a new season, a new level, a new work of God as he is preparing us and this earth for the return. So this is not just, wow, 2020 has got a bad attitude. We need to slap it straight. No. There's things happening, and because God has started making a shift, Satan has started to fight the shift. And he's seizing on fear. He's seizing on uncertainty. He's seizing on sin that was already prevalent in, in wicked hearts. He's already grabbing a hold of the things that he can shake and manifest himself in resistance to what God is doing. So there's so many things going on that Satan has gotten his hand into in this moment of our season of life that, that so many of us are forgetting about the God activity. And my hope in this series is that we will get our minds wrapped around that God activity in this season of time. So that we're not caught unaware. So last week, let's. Uh, you know, you're in Matthew, you're in Matthew 24. I'm going to take you back to the passage that our guest read last week. And as he read that, I just it just began to resonate in me. So through this week, I've been reading it. As we're going to be talking about signs and seasons and the second coming, uh, the study of prophecy uh, has great value to us. And, and later in this this teaching this morning, I'll explain five truths about why we want to learn what the Bible says about the coming days. But this scripture tells us how God works in these seasons and how he makes these shifts into new work and into greater work and into new levels, moving us toward his perfect redemption. In Daniel, Daniel is uh, declaring after he's received revelation, says, then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever, wisdom and power are his. Notice this in verse 21. He changes times and seasons. My friend, that's what I believe he is doing. From the day they told us to quarantine and it wasn't safe to meet in groups of more than 10 in church campuses or anywhere else, that didn't trouble me. I've had a sense all along that God wanted to do something. God wanted to cut some stuff off 
And in fact, we, it's possible that we could have moved all back way too quickly because we all started getting nervous. Hey, we got to get back. We got to get back. But I don't know that, that we've let God finish doing what he wanted to do to get us on the right track for this season. But he's a God who changes times and he changes seasons. He disposes kings and he raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise, and notice this, knowledge to the discerning. My friend, the purpose for prophecy given to us is that the people of God may discern the seasons of God. And that's where we're headed. He reveals deep and hidden things. That's what we're asking. Lord, help us understand. Help us understand what you already know is coming. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows, all, he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. In other words, he delights in helping us understand. He doesn't want us to be caught by surprise, so he's, he's given us multitudes of promises and prophecies in his word that we would not be shocked nor deceived as the seasons change and move toward the return of Christ. He changes these seasons, he changes these times, but he reveals them to his people. So in Matthew 24, in Matthew 25, we have what uh, theologians call the, the Mount Olivet Discourse. It's the last week of Jesus' life. This is just a few days before Christ will be arrested, beaten, crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. This is his last few days, and he's gone into the temple, and in one of the last declarations that he makes publicly is to the religious people, particularly the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And over and over in Matthew 23, he uses the word hypocrites. These religious people who acted religious and went through motions and, and carried out their laws and their routines to please God and to look spiritual to others, he says, you're, you're dead, you're, you're vipers, you're and he calls them hypocrites. And he chastises the dead religion that they think is honoring to God. And then we're going to read the very last few verses of 23. And then we're going to step into 24. And it's in verse 20, or chapter 24 and 25 that Jesus then gives the Mount Olivet Discourse. He sits on the Mount of Olives, which is just across the Kidron Valley from where the temple is that he had just visited. And sitting there inside of the temple... He begins to talk to the disciples at their request. Lord, tell us, when are the days? When are the times? When is this going to happen? He begins to tell them what some of the signs are going to be as they point to what he's told them about the destruction of Israel and about the coming, his coming. And so Matthew 23, we're going to begin there in verse number 37. Here's, here's the heart of Jesus for the city of Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. He's calling out to the heart of the people of God in Jerusalem, the inhabitants of the capital city, if you will, of God's nation. 
And he's calling out to him, and he says, I've, I've come to you, and, and, and the prophets told you I was coming, and you rejected them. You, you've been deceived, and you've been hardened in heart. And he said, I, I, I want to gather you, and I want to draw you in, and I want you to be in what I'm doing for this redemption plan that the Father has ordained for you, but, but you've rejected it. It's possible to be right in the very presence of Jesus and reject what Jesus is doing. And, and it happened. It happened for that generation. And then he says, look, your house. And he's, he's right there in the temple. He says, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's Jesus foretelling his second coming. Because just a few chapters earlier, you have Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the, on the last week of his life, the Passion Week, on the back of a donkey, and the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's not talking about riding in on a donkey. He's talking about the day he comes back as a lion, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's talking about his second coming already. He hasn't even left from the first coming yet. Then we pick up now with the Mount Olivet Discourse. So verse 1 says in 24, Jesus left the temple and was walking away, obviously with his disciples, and his disciples came up to him to call his attention to these buildings. They're saying basically, Jesus, how is this house going to be desolate? Look at the grandeur. Look at the, the magnificence of the huge stones and the hand-carved stones. And, and this is a place for God. This is a place we honor God. This is built for him. This how could this be desolate? They're drawing his attention to the buildings. And Jesus says to them as they're walking, Do you see these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. He's telling about the days that are about to come. And within their generation, they're going to see the destruction of that temple and their city, Jerusalem. As Jesus was stirring, or I'm sorry, I have got to get the prescriptions fixed. Lisa and I have been talking about that. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And they said, tell us, when will this happen? And, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then in verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. And that's our purpose in studying Signs and seasons in the second coming is, what does God tell us to anticipate? What does God tell us to do to be ready? That's where we want to find ourselves these next weeks, even, even in this season. So three things right there that I want us to kind of focus around this morning. A couple of them will go quickly. One of them will spend a little more time on. But the first one is this. Jesus sees what we see. He sees what we see. He saw the temple. He saw the, the big, huge, massive stones that were hand-carved. He saw the glory on the temple. He saw the, the gold and the, the ornate uh, decoration of the, of the temple. He saw everything they saw. They're seeing with the physical. They're seeing with existential eyes, if you will. That means they're seeing what exists. But all along, Jesus sees that with them. The problem is, though, for Jesus is he sees beyond what they're seeing. And we'll talk about that in a moment. 
But Jesus sees what they see. He sees the physical part, but he, he, knows, he knows something's coming. They've built this great monument. It's turned into a monument of religion for them. It began in great, in, in, in right spirit that it would be the house of worship for God. But then, you remember, he even went in and turned over the tables of the money changers and said, you've turned it into a den of thieves, and it's meant to be the house of prayer. Jesus sees what they see. He sees what you and I see. You see, you and I, we see our world with existential eyes. As sure as, as Tom Gaylord is sitting on the front row this morning, I see Tom. I see Dolores. We see with existential eyes. We operate with five senses, right? We are in contact physically with our world through our five senses, one of which includes sight. So we, we, we have this realm where we see things as they exist. We see the news as it exists, or at least the version that the news wants to give us exists. But we, we see things happening around us that, that do exist. There is chaos. Is it greater or less than what the news is telling us? We really don't know unless we go stand in those streets and watch it as well. But, but we know it's there. We, 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 we see all of this. We, we hear all of this. And, and we look and we say, wow, what a crazy year. Could 2020 get any crazier? Well, we've got less than 30 days to an election. And I'm just, I'm no prophet. I'm not an expert in prophecy. I'm relying on some really good sources for where we go in this study. But I'm going to just tell you, it's going to start tomorrow probably. We have this Supreme Court uh, nomination that I think the process is now start tomorrow. That's not going to be pretty. Continue to pray for uh, Amy Barrett and, and the process. God's going to do what God's going to do, but people are going to do what people do. So we see all this happening. We live in this existential realm, and, and yet Jesus knows there's so much, so much beyond that. And he, he wants us to see it. He wants us, he wants us to know it. We live in this existential realm where everything is physical and it's about our own abilities and our own wisdom and our own knowledge and our and that's where man elevates himself above God. That's where Adam was. Maybe that fruit on that tree is not so bad. Maybe I know a little better than God does about what's good for this body he gave me kind of thing. And we put ourselves above God and that's where our culture is today. We've become so fixed on the physical realm and making it about us. And how does this affect me and, and how will this affect my family? What's in it for me? Type of a deal. And at that point, we begin to, to push God off. And, and I have to say, maybe what 2020 has been is God removing some of the stuff. That just helps us realize, you know, I read something this week, kind of humorous, but it was talking about five lessons we've learned through the 2020 quarantine. And one of those was, well, none of us, all of us, if we were asked five years ago, where do you see yourself in five years? We missed that question because none of us saw this, but uh, there were, there were several of those and, and we have to chuckle about some of it, but, but the reality is uh, that some things have been removed. Some things have been shifted, and one of the things that I, I thought was 
imperative of the heart and attitude of God right now that it spoke to me or the spirit of God spoke to me when I saw it is I haven't watched any football. I was at a birthday party last Sunday afternoon. They had the Cowboy game on, so I saw about two minutes of that. And then I, I saw about three minutes of the, uh, I think it was the Cowboys. That's how much I was into it. I think it was the Cowboys and the Rams. And it was in the Rams opening game, home game of their, their, new, uh, their new stadium. And they were talking on there in that moment. I happened to be watching about the, the five most costly football stadiums that have been built in the last few years. Of course, AT&T Stadium, one of those. The Rams spent almost $6 trillion building a football stadium. And you know what? On opening night, the first football game played in that stadium, there were no living souls sitting in the seats. There were cardboard cutouts of a few folks in the end zones. There were no living, human, ticket-buying, ticket-paying people. Did I say trillion? I mean billion. <laughs> Tom looked way too startled. I thought, wait a minute, maybe I said so wrong. No, billions. I'm sorry. Did I, I'm sorry. It's billions. I'm thinking the national debt, which is a whole other story. But anyway, uh, and the Holy Spirit, it just, it just resonated in me that this, this is what God's doing. God's showing us. We've created idols, and it's, it, 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 they've got to come down. We're going to talk about our modern-day idolatry at some point, I believe, as we go through this, this series. But Jesus sees what, what we don't see. And, and I want to read to you uh, from, uh, let me make sure I'm in the right spot here. I want to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3, because 2 Timothy chapter 3 shows us what the attitude and behavior is that's a result of existential living, living for what exists. And in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes and he says this beginning in verse number 1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times when? In the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now, if that was the, the real estate ad for a subdivision, would you want to move to that neighborhood? Well, I think we're all quite aware we're living in that neighborhood. We're living in that neighborhood now. Is that not a picture of where we have in this generation the hearts and the minds of people? That's existential living. That is everything about me and nothing about God. And Paul says it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. We've moved into that at a whole new level. And according to what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 24 and 25, that's just going to intensify. That's not going to get better. So he says, look, church, you, you don't be deceived. So Jesus sees what we see. But secondly, Jesus sees what we can't see. 
There's a part of what the disciples are looking at there with that temple and they see the grandeur of it and they see the, the purpose for why the temple was there. They can't see why God would take that temple down, but Jesus has already seen it. He says, Jerusalem, your house will lie desolate. Peter, James, John, you guys look. There's a day coming that, that, that this structure, every stone will be laid bare and fall upon each other. They couldn't see that. Didn't make sense to them. But you see, Jesus isn't bound to the five senses like we are. He has the heart and the mind, the soul of the Spirit of Christ. And he sees and he knows what we can't see and know right now. So he says, look, before your generation ends, this is all going to, to happen. And sure enough, it took 80 years, 80 plus years to build that temple to its completion and, and, and do some uh, adding on and things of that nature to it. it. took almost 80 years. Jesus dies. He's crucified. They're still working on extending parts of the temple. And it's completed. And it's completely done. And six years later, A.D. 70, Rome destroys the city of Jerusalem and they destroy that temple. And the people of God scatter from the city across the nations, never to be a nation again for almost 2,000 years. Jesus saw what nobody else was seeing. Kind of like the days of Noah. Everybody was going around doing what they do. And then came the flood. Here's my fear. I do not see everything Jesus sees. I fully understand that. I'm not even close to it. I don't even see what some of the prophets who are speaking in our generation are completely seeing. But I do believe I see that what is happening in this season we live in 2020 there's more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye. And I'm concerned that many Christians are not quite aware, maybe, and are just taking this in stride that, well, this is just a crazy year. Let's build each other up and hope 2021 is better. Now, I'm all about encouragement. If you, if, you, if you tune in every day, Monday through Friday at noon on our Facebook page, I do the little three-minute uh, midday devotional. I intentionally do not talk about these things. I intentionally give you scripture to encourage you in this time to build your faith and to build hope. So I'm all about that. But I think... I think I just feel compelled as kind of as a watchman on the wall that, that, that we got to take this we got to take this more seriously. We got to try to see what Jesus sees. We got to ask him to show us and, and get into his word and find out what he sees and, and, and be ready because he told the disciples right there in verse 4 of chapter 20 he says, "Look, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let them deceive you." You see, Jesus, Jesus sees things that, that we can't see. 
He says in chapter 23, verse 39 there of Matthew, as we read it, he says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and Israel is surrounded by its enemies, and uh, they're coming, the battle of Armageddon, and Israel calls out to the Lord and confesses Christ. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and he comes with the host of heaven, the armies of heaven to defeat Antichrist and the, the armies of the nations that have come to overthrow Israel at the end of that seven years. So Jesus sees so far, so far beyond what we see. Isaiah 49, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 46 tells us this about our God. It says, remember the former things, those of long ago. He says, I am God and there is no other. Everybody said, mm-hmm. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times. In other words, for all time and what is still yet to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So God is God. He knows the end from the beginning, from ancient times. He's already known this moment right here. He's already known your response to him in this moment right here. He knows this time, this season. He knows the next season. He knows when that trumpet will sound and Christ will break through the heavens and take the church and the redeemed to be with him. And he sees that seven years of, of tribulation and judgment on the earth. He sees the redemption of the nation of Israel who, who denied Christ the Messiah the first time but will call upon him and will be saved in that seven years. He's seen all of that. He knows all of that. We can't fathom it. We, we get some glimpses and that's what we're going to try to, to grab a hold of and, and ask for discernment through this series. Jesus sees what we can't see. He sees what we see. But then thirdly, Here's our encouragement. He sees what we need to see. He sees what he wants us to see, and he's willing to allow us to see it. Remember in Revelation, when the very beginning parts of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, and he, he's talking and addressing the churches of Asia Minor. He's encouraging them. He's also correcting them, and he's speaking over them. And in each one, it says this, that he who has ears to hear, Hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Jesus knows things and sees things we don't know in this hour, in this moment, about this hour, in this moment, but He wants to reveal things to us that encourage us, that strengthen us, that mobilize us, and that move us forward in this activity at a new level that God is unleashing in this hour. So Jesus is going to help us. He's going to help us understand this season in some aspects as we need to see it and know it and to understand it. Prophecy through the Bible, through the Word of God is going to be our course. We're, going to, we're not going to study what prophets are saying now. We're going to study what God's prophets said and we're going to discern from there what is happening in this moment. Amos 3, verse 7, the Lord assures us he wants to reveal to us. He says this, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to who? The prophets or servants. 
He wants to reveal his activity. He doesn't want us left in the dark. He doesn't operate in darkness. We read it well ago in Daniel. He's the God in whom light dwells. Again, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this about Jesus revealing. He says, however it is written, what no eye has seen or what we can't see and know, what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, he says this, verse 10, these are the things God has revealed by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And as the scripture says, deep cries out to deep. What I really believe God is wanting the church to do in this season is to, to, to step out deeper, to dig in deeper and find out what the depths of his, of his activity are. And so there's a lot of shaking going on and, and it's meant to catch our attention. And to say, God, what are you doing? Not blaming God, but actually asking God. God, what are you doing? And, and according to these verses, he wants to show us. He wants to reveal to us what his activity is. You know that 30% of your Bible is prophecy? 30% of... These scriptures deal with prophecy, the foretelling of God's activity. Almost all of that 30%, almost all of it, has to do with the last days. You say, Pastor, are we in the last days? We've been in the last days. We've started the last days, I believe, at the resurrection of Christ. But we moved into a deeper place of the last days in 1948 when Israel became a nation because now many of those 30% Old Testament prophecies are coming to pass and they're coming to pass in our generation I'll give you one that just happened in the last month right here within your own time President Trump gets nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize he's now been nominated for the third or fourth one as of yesterday one of those was for helping put together a peace treaty between the United Arab Emirates in Bahrain with Israel. Now, there have been many nations that have done that. Egypt did that some years ago. Jordan did that even some years later. But it took almost 2,000 years for the first country to ever I'm sorry, let me, let me back up. It took almost 40 years for the first country after Israel became a nation to acknowledge Israel as a nation and to make peace with them. And it took another 20 or so years for the next nation, Jordan, to come along. In one day, in one day, a couple of weeks ago, two nations signed a peace agreement with Israel. Now, we know, according to Scripture, when Antichrist comes, there will be many nations who make a peace agreement with Israel. And I do not believe Donald Trump is the Antichrist. But what I want you to see is that every nation surrounding Israel will at some point in time, before Christ returns, make peace with Israel. 
two more nations just did that in the last three weeks of your existence. God's prophecies are coming to fulfillment in your generation. So now I'm totally off track. Where was I? So 30% of the Bible, entire books, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the book of Revelation are all prophecy. So we're going to study it. To dismiss studying prophecy would be to dismiss one-third of the Bible. So we're going to look and we're going to see what's God, what's God doing. But there's blessing that comes with it. Revelation 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written, because the time is near. There's a blessing. You get your Bible out each week, and then you go home and restudy through some of this stuff. You take those notes on the app, and you go back in, and you start putting what God's speaking to you through these points on this message, and each message coming. God's going to bless that study. God's going to bless your desire to deepen an understanding of his activity in his generation. There's many benefits to studying prophecy. I told you a while ago, I am not an expert on prophecy. In fact, when I was... Uh, in my ordination process many years ago with the Assemblies of God, uh, I was in one of many, many different meetings and being interviewed, and, and uh, the gentleman interviewing me, all senior ministers above me and more mature and experienced and all, they uh, asked me a question about the, the end times, and I, in all honesty, being a teacher of God's Word, my desire has always been, I just want to be knowing how to live and live right. And I want to be helping people know how to live and, and live right. And so I hadn't studied the end times a whole lot. I know what I believe about the rapture and, and that, but I thought in my youthfulness, I would impress them with my knowledge of, of Billy Graham. And so they asked me this question. I said, well, you know, I kind of believe like Billy Graham said, I'm praying for a pre-tribulation rapture, but I'm going to prepare for a post just in case. And they all kind of looked at me, and one of them spoke up and said, Son, your next assignment is to go home and begin to study prophecy. Begin to understand what God says about the last days. So they weren't impressed with my answer. They still gave me my certificate and laid hands on me later. But they weren't impressed with my answer. I wasn't impressed with it after I realized how much there was to know so I'm not an expert in prophecy, but I'm going to rely heavily on some resources of individuals who are, who have made a lifetime studying prophecy. And I'll tell you up front, Dr. Jimmy Evans uh, has just recently written a book called Tipping Point. I'm going to rely. In fact, even in a moment, I'm going to share a few things from that with you. Dr. David Jeremiah, who has, has spent a lifetime teaching through the prophecies of the Bible going to rely on those, Tim LaHaye and some other sources. So I'm going, to, I'm going to do my diligence in studying and then ask the Holy Spirit to bring through me what we need to, to see and, and understand. But I want to let you know right up front that, that I'm relying on others who I trust in their knowledge of some of these things. But Dr. Jimmy Evans gives us five reasons why biblical prophecy is important for us. Number one, the first truth is this. The only one who controls the future is the only one who can reveal it. He's the only one who truly knows. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. We saw that just a moment ago. He sees everything from beginning to end. And when he tells us what's to come, we can bank on it. 
Now, I want to I share something here with you, and then I want to go through these very quickly. But I want you to, to recognize when Jesus says in chapter 24, verse 4, see that you are not deceived. There is much deception in the last days. In fact, Jesus will go on in Matthew 24 and say, people will come and they will say, I'm the Messiah, or come over here, I saw the Messiah here. There's much deception in the last days. There's much deception since day one in the garden. But there's a deception that, that I just want to tag on right here with this, that only one controls the future and can reveal it. There is a booming business and profit to be made in fortune-telling, Sorcery that involves tarot cards and, and all of that kind of stuff. With the intent of telling your future. And everybody wants to know what to anticipate. Will I get married? And, and who will I marry? And, and will they have hairy legs or not? You know, we want to know these things. And so we, we, we go and, and, and we allow these, these people to, to read our palms or to to lay out the cards. And, and can I just tell you that, that based on this truth, that there's only one who knows the future, then what they're telling you is not God's truth for your life. But just say, Pastor, I went to one of those people and they, they told me what my spouse was going to, who that was going to be and when I would meet them and how it was going to happen and what they would look like and this and that. And sure enough, look who I'm married to now. Well, let me just tell you, what they told you planted something in your mind. It's like this. I bought a Bought a new truck. Robert, Robert Young helped me uh, get a new truck a couple of months ago. And prior to that Ford truck, I was looking at those new Jeep Gladiator trucks. That you could pop the top off and you could cruise. And let the wind blow through your bald spot and just feel like you're young again. And you know what? I can't get, I love my truck. But everywhere I turn, there's a Gladiator. Yesterday, we're driving to a wedding in Weatherford. We passed five of them. Prior to a few months ago, I wouldn't have paid attention to a gladiator. But now, all of a sudden, I see gladiators. Why? Planted a seed in my mind. So they tell you what to expect. They plant that seed. And what do you do the rest of your days? You start looking. Oh, there's a woman in a red dress. Hmm. Oh, wait, no, she's not blonde. Okay, so, oh, there's another. Oh, that one's blonde. You see what I'm saying? You are fulfilling your own. That was not from God. And so I just have to say that in this deception of the hour, when you're looking to the future, we're going to look to God. We're not going to look to anything else. But I would say for your soul's sake and for breaking the bondage and getting you freedom, if you've participated in that, if you've trusted in that, if you've done the Ouija board, you've done the tarot cards, you're saying, oh, pastor, you're getting on a soapbox. No, 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 no. I'm speaking God's word. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities, powers, authorities, and rulers in high places who will bring you down. And if you've participated... That was not from God. You know why that worked? You know why you saw it? Because it was familiar to you. Familiar spirit. You were looking for it and you, you found it. You got to renounce that, my friends. You made a covenant. You made an agreement with darkness. With the realm of Satan, your enemy of your soul. You may not feel any different. Not even saying you're demon-possessed. I'm just saying there's now a stronghold of thinking in your mind that you've given access to. You've got to renounce it. You've got to say, Father, forgive me for making a covenant with darkness and seeking it above you. And you've got to ask his forgiveness. You know what? It's there. He gives it. And he brings you free from that.
that was just a little side note, but it, this morning as I was preparing and reviewing this, it just, the Holy Spirit told me to, to, to cover that. So I, I trust that's a benefit. Second truth, God gives understanding to warn unbelievers and to comfort believers. He wants to warn unbelievers of what is coming so that there will be repentance. Why has he not come? According to the scriptures, it is because he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but he would like all to come to salvation. So that's the only reason Christ hasn't come back just yet. God wants to give everybody an opportunity to call on Christ if they would so choose. So he gives prophecy as a warning to unbelievers and comfort to believers so that we can know that there's hope in the quarantine. So that we can know that on the other side, God is doing something else in all the shutdowns and in all the chaos and all of the deception and all of the anger and all the bitterness and all the hatred. God is doing something in the middle of all of the political arrogance and, and chaos that's going on. God, we read a while ago in Daniel, God disposes kings and he puts kings in place. He gives it for the warning of unbelievers. And so I would say this morning, he wants to encourage us with the prophecies of the last days. If you fear the coming of the last days, then I just want to be completely honest with you. You really need to, you really need to search your heart. Have you been born again? If you fear the coming, have you been born again? I'm not judging. I'm saying check it out. Because the Word of God says that the Spirit of Christ bears witness with our spirit that we are born again. He's convinced me I, I am born again. And so I don't fear the future. I believe like Billy Graham did. Praying for a pre-tribulation rapture, Tom, but I'm going to prepare for a post just in case, and God's going to take care of me. But I do, I do believe in pre-trib. But what I'm saying is, if you fear the future, get something worked out with the Father. Because he's not giving you prophecy and telling you what's coming to put fear in you. He wants to encourage you. Make sure you're right. Call on Jesus. Humble yourself and call on Jesus. Truth number three, God validates the Bible through fulfilled prophecy. Over and over as these prophecies of the Old Testament are becoming fulfilled, it, at the first coming of Christ, over 300 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled at his first coming. He told us when he would come, where he would be born how he would live and how he would speak. Isaiah, some 700 years before uh, Rome even created the torture of crucifixion and the mode of crucifixion, Isaiah in Isaiah 53 saw that the Messiah would be beaten. He would be bruised. He would have stripes on his body for by his stripes, Isaiah says, we are healed. And when we see the story and the event of Christ's crucifixion, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. Prophecy validates God's word. Along with that, God confirms prophecy very specifically. God doesn't fulfill prophecies in generalities. Well, okay, it's going to look a little bit like that. No, he, he tells you what it's going to look like. I want to 
I want to do this real quickly. I want you to, to hang with me, but I, I just, what I'm about to share with you really takes two or three messages to break down Daniel chapter 9 and 10. But I want to show you how specific God gets with fulfilling prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel receives revelation from God. Gabriel the angel is sent to Daniel. And he says, Daniel, here's the revelation to your prayer. Daniel had been praying, Lord, Father, what is in store for your people, Israel? Now, when Daniel prays this, Israel is in 70 years of bondage, which was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And Jeremiah had said it's going to be 70 years, and it came to exactly 70 years when they were finally released. So Daniel says, what's going to happen with your people after this season of judgment? And the angel comes and he says, Daniel, God has ordained 70 sevens for his people. Now you're like, okay, understand this in prophetic timeline, 70 sets of seven. One seven equals seven years. That's how God operates. That's how there was the, the Sabbath rest, the, the land that was to rest for one year in Israel, the seventh year. It was to be a year of rest, not to farm the land. He works in seven. So 70 sets of seven years. That's 490 years when you do the math, right? 490 years, and the, and the angel says, then will come the Messiah, the anointed one. He says, Basically, seven sets of seven, or 490 years after the decree of Israel to rebuild their city and their temple, and their return to their city will be the coming of the anointed one. When you look at when Artaxerxes gave the final call for Israel to return back from the land of Babylon or Persia at that time, back to their own city, you take the date that he gave that... And I can find it in my notes, but I'm way past that spot in my notes, so I would have to scroll. But when you take that date that Artaxerxes gave his decree for Israel now, um, Cyrus had already permitted them to go back and start rebuilding their temple. Many had already made their way back, but the final, the final decree given by a king associated with Persia was Artaxerxes. And when you take that, 483 years after he gave that decree, Jesus is crucified. Now remember, there's 400, 482, there's 490 years. Where's the other seven? The tribulation. Remember, Daniel said, what's in store for your people Israel? Those seven years of tribulation are a season of time for God to capture the attention of his holy people Israel. And they return by accepting the Messiah, Jesus Christ. How specific is God? He told Daniel, decades before it would ever come to pass, on this day, start counting, 483 years, your Messiah will come. And he did. Because God does what he says he's going to do, and he does it how he says he's going to do it. And I'm just so grateful that he gives us the opportunity to know it with him. And then truth number five, the last one. God's word is the only means to understanding the future. We're going to stick to God's word. I told you already, one very specific prophecy in our own generation 
Jesus said the temple will be destroyed in A.D. 70. He's already been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. In uh, A.D. 70, that happened. Jerusalem was overthrown. The temple was destroyed. The temple has never been rebuilt. I have stood on the Mount of Olives and where they believe is the place close to where Jesus and the disciples would have been looking across from the Mount of Olives over to the Temple Mount. What stands there now is a, is a Muslim mosque. Temple's never been rebuilt in that place again. The Jews were scattered in A.D. 70. The prophet Isaiah told it hundreds of years before it ever happened. The, the people will be scattered, the people of God will be scattered to the four corners of the earth. Isaiah also prophesied in Isaiah 11 that there would come a day that God would bring his people back from those four corners. And he would regather his people. He told it on more than one occasion in the book of Isaiah. He prophesied they will be brought back. That began in your generation on May 14th of 1948. On that day, the British control, the British, what did they call it? The, the colonial mandate that, that Britain had over that area of the Middle East expired. And on that day, Israel declared themselves to be a sovereign nation. That afternoon, the President of the United States of America made a proclamation that America saw Israel now and would honor them as a sovereign nation. You know what else Isaiah prophesied? That all happened in one day, May 14, 1948. That nation came back into existence. Isaiah prophesied it. Let me see if I have it here in my notes. Nope, I don't. Sorry about that. But Isaiah prophesied it, that in one day, in one day, a nation would be born. He said, how? how? How could one nation? That's how he said, how could a nation be born in a day? And on May 14th, 1948, those of you that were alive in that day, you got to see how one nation becomes a nation in a day. Guys, I'm just telling you, God's on this thing. God is on this thing. God is in this thing. And we just got to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that we're going to seek from his word. So how, what's this all apply to you? Here's your application right here. One, you need to know the truth. You need to join in these studies. You need to take it, read it yourself. You need to read through these things. Know God's truth and study it. You need to receive that truth. And first off, you need to receive Christ as your Lord and your personal Savior. You need to give your life to Him. Because when He comes, He's coming for those who are His. And when the Scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, you'll either do that before the coming of Christ or you will do it at the coming of Christ. However, at the coming of Christ, what we read is that will be too late. Your first point of preparation is believe Christ is the Son of God. Receive Him into your heart. Give your life to Him. Third truth or third uh, application is this. Live this truth that you learn. Get serious about living your faith. Man, I got to tell you, my heart aches that so many people are just taking all of this so for granted. And everybody's just going about like the days of Noah. Uh, and I'm talking about people that are, that are Christians. I'm talking about people that are, are, are claiming a, a faith in Christ and, and, and just going about 
things. Um, the things of God are, are going to grow less and less personal to more people as the coming of Christ comes. Jesus said that uh, in the last days, even the elect, the people of God, can be deceived if, if they're not careful. So live the truth. Get passionate about Jesus. Now's not the time to just be floating along and checking off a mark every Sunday you come to church and waiting for a star on your attendance chart. No, now's the time to get Jesus right smack dab in the middle of your existence and to abide in him and let him abide in you. And then third, fourthly, share the truth. We all know friends, family that don't know Jesus. One of the things on my heart right now is this prayer we prayed just a couple of days ago. I think it was yesterday's prayer point about breaking the spirit of fear off of our nation. Your neighbors are living in fear. Many people around us, and, and they need hope. The hope is Jesus. And they need to know truth. We need to speak that truth. Amen.